The Thursday Interview On the Hard Shoulder Thanks to Australia's McGuigan Wines Four-time International Winemaker of the Year This time, bring a McGuigan Welcome back to The Hard Shoulder and on Thursday at this time every week we bring in a national or international name and spend time talking to them in a little bit of depth about their life and it is a great pleasure uh, to coincide with the publication of his uh, fantastic book uh, My Crazy World, the autobiography of Christy Dignam of Aslan fame. Uh, it's a pleasure to welcome him. And I have to say, having read so many things about your demise and your poor health, you're looking better than myself. You're feeling well? I feel great, yeah. I feel great at the moment. So. All right. I think it's because I got the, uh, the illness, I had to start looking after myself. So I kind that, of had that was a first, effect. yes. Yeah, was Indeed. Course, well, yeah. for those of you uh, who are of different age groups and don't know about his crazy world, take a listen to some of the best from Aslan. can relate to different times in your life uh, and those songs and the connection it has. It's been described as part of Irish DNA, Aslan. Uh, the, the, the book is a great read. And I, you know what? Uh, I come back from the TV on Virgin Media at midnight, after midnight, and I just need something to chill out. And I'm looking for a good autobiography. I deliberately only read the first two chapters and I was so into it in terms of it was really well written uh, in you. conjunction with uh, uh, Damien is Damien it? Corliss, Damien yeah. Corliss just yeah. tell us how the book came about uh, well it started <clears throat> a few years ago I did an autobiography 17 years ago but at the time I was strung out on drugs at that time and I only did it for money I wasn't in a good place so there was a lot of bullshit in it, to be honest with you so I wanted to Kind of when I was thinking about the way the world is now with the internet and all, I thought my grandchildren are going to be looking back, and I didn't want that to be my life story. Yeah. So I wanted to be some kind of redemption, and I wanted also we were talking with the band in the last since I got ill, and we'd be telling the band and say, "Do you remember we were in um, Luxembourg and this happened, or do you remember we were in San Francisco?" And I'd be looking at them, and just with chemotherapy, it just came out brain completely. I'd forgotten a lot of the stuff, so I wanted to have a Get it, uh, get it all written down before it was completely gone. Well, it's really well written, though, because yeah. it's a page turner. Like, cause I was reading the story of you were six years of age yeah. and you were in Finglas, yeah. and a fella told you to go buy uh, a, a, a coke. pop coke or yeah, a coca cola. Yeah, that's right, pop coke. Yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. And and he gave you sixpence, yeah. and then he locked the door behind you. You yeah. went up, did the message, came back. You were six years of age. Yes. And what happened then? 
So when I got to the door, the door was ajar. And as a kid, you'd never walk into somebody's house. So he, he just shouted. When I knocked, he shouted to come in. So when I went in, I remember the place was in darkness. All the curtains were pulled. And I thought that was a bit strange. But the kind of overriding a memory I have is the locks going across on the door. But basically, he stripped me off and took me laces on my shoes, tied me to a chair. And abused me basically, you know. So that was the. And this went on for a few years. Yeah. And the amazing thing about it was, you kind of obliterated it from the depths of your mind. Yeah, because like you went through Rutland, you went through, yeah. and they said, "Well, now is there anything in your past that was traumatic?" And you said, "No, no." no, I no. Couldn't Explain that to me, because I, I didn't. Know. It just, it's not credible. Well, I just couldn't. It just to me. You see, when we were in the Rutland. There was always this moment after four weeks of treatment where I was looking at the other addicts in there, well, alcoholics, wherever addicts you were, and he'd have this epiphany after four weeks and he'd all start bawling. And the next day they'd be glowing, you know, because he actually couldn't get having this epiphany. So this wasn't happening to me. So they called me into the office and called me wife up and we were sitting there and we were talking. And I said, I had a great childhood. My dad built me an aviary. For the, I used to breed boards as a kid. I said, he built me an aviary when he was off school, you know, or off work. And, and then this memory just well this memory came then when I kind of got come out of Rutland and it was I, I, what when happened when you walked was, by his house was yeah well, he lived he li- I don't want to say exactly where he lived yeah. but he was a neighbour sorry because right? he, he didn't just abuse who he be- was he ever convicted no no but I'll tell you what happened yeah so I'm walking out I went in when I came out of Rutland I'm in the house and I'm telling me mother listen I could have been my mother and father I was trying to explain to them why I kind of turned out to be a drug addict and I said it could have been something happened to me as a child or something and I remember my dad looking at me thinking are you saying we didn't love you as a child enough you know and that I, I was making the situation worse and I was kind of getting frustrated but when I left the house I just looked at this guy's hall door because he lived very very close to us and the whole thing just came back like a, a video thing, a video uh, reel, you know. And did you then get the release and the epiphany from this? Well, it did help a great deal, yeah. Now, about a week about a week later, I was walking and I seen the guy in his garden and I went over to, to challenge him about it and he ran into his house and I couldn't get him. And the following week, when I got to the, when I visited my mother again, there was a for sale soil in the garden. He was gone and I believe he moved to Kildare somewhere. Right. Now... Tell me about your mum and dad. Right. My mother was amazing. My mother was, um, she had a very hard, hard life. When she was when she was 12 years of age, she was coming home from, she was working a place, or 14 years of age, she was, she was working to the Ashbourne, Ash, Ashtown Tin Box Factory. She used to make tin boxes in Ashtown up near Blanchestown. So she was coming home from work and she passed her mother in the street and her mother said, listen, will you uh, look after the kids, the dinners in the oven? She was the eldest of five siblings. So her mother she thought her mother was going to the shops. Her mother flew off to England, just kind of abandoned the family. The father was a, a chronic alcoholic. Her father, my grandfather, was a chronic alcoholic. So my mother reared all our siblings. And when they each reached reach 16, the granny would call for them from England and they'd go over, they were going to Stratford and Avon and Coventry. They lived in that area. So when you're walking, walking age, you'd get them to come over. Anyway, then my grandfather died and... She came home for the funeral. There was no money for his funeral, so the neighbours did a whip round. 
the money, mother, the grandmother took all the money, legged it back to England with the money, robbed the funeral money. So my grandfather was buried in a, in a pauper's grave because of this. And to, we, we tried to track him down, but we, we've been finding find it hard to find, because they're in, they're in some of them in groups. So your mother got it tough. Yeah, it was good. what happened, just to finish off yeah. that story, so she reared all of us, and then... How many of you were there? Eight of us. Right. So and you were the eldest? I was the second Seven, eldest, right. the eldest son, so the, the sister older than me. Yeah. But when the youngest guy was about 15, the granny would have been about 70 at that stage, she had a, a motorbike accident where a motorbike hit her on, on a cross, uh, 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 it was ever cross, and she had to get a steel hip in. She was brought home from England and put in my mother's care. So then my mother had to care for the woman who abandoned her at 12 until she was, she lived from up to be 90. So she, so it was about 18 years she lived in the house and about 10 of those years was Al- she had Alzheimer's. So my mother just had a complete nightmare of a life. But very happy, were they? Ah, it's the father, my dad. Yeah, yeah. Because ah, yeah, when, it was great because... They never had, they never had anything. They never had a pot to piss in, to be honest with you. Because, because eight kids, he worked in CAE. He was, a, he worked in CAE for forty years. Oh, where, where in CAE? Sparrow. He was a coach trimmer. Okay. So he's an upholsterer by trade. So what he do is he used to walk in in, in CIA and in the evenings he used to take in people's suites of furniture and he covered yeah, them out as the back, an Ixer, yeah. as an Ixer, yeah, 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 out the back garden. So he was always walking as we were kids. But then on a Sunday, he used to make the Sunday dinner and he used to play all John McCormick, Enrico Caruso music. So I grew up listening to that. That gave me a great love of And had your dad himself been abused? Yes. He was in um, Artane, but I only found that out years later. Because when I, when I finally came out with the abuse thing and uh, my dad said, you shouldn't be talking about that. You just get on with your bloody life, you know, because, I mean, that was his oh, generation. Like, you know. Where it was, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, so, so... Um, a happy childhood? Great childhood. Yeah. Right. Uh, insofar as that, um, you seem to be very angry about your dad that he sent you to the wrong secondary school. Yeah, well, that was just that was just stupid. I mean, I was, just, I was angry. At, not now, as a child I was. Because we lived in, a, we, there was two schools where I lived. There was the technical school the tech and those the patrician brothers and all my mates that I grew up with there was about five of us on the road they all went to the tech and the tech did all carpentry and mechanics and stuff like that and patrician was all Latin and you know academic stuff and I just wanted to go to the to the, um, tech. To the tech but I mean looking at it now if, if I was in his position now I'd do exactly the same but thing, you mitched yes I used to mitch out of the tech out of the patrician and bunk into the Heck, and I sit with me mates, and I actually did it. Would year. your mother like? Wait, you would have told your mother this. Would she not say to your dad, "Look, just move him to another school"? No, because I didn't tell anybody. Because you're Mitchell when you're a kid, you don't tell anybody. All obviously. right, I'd have got battered if yeah. I was caught Mitchell, you know. And and when we think of certain parts of Inglis yeah. uh, today, yeah. We think of drugs, we think of crime, we think of almost some kind of no-go areas, right? Yeah. Uh, and people say it's down to economic and social deprivation. Yeah. You grew up in a lot of deprivation, but there wasn't the same crime. What's the difference between now and then? So I'm acknowledging that deprivation is a key issue to early yeah. school leavers and disadvantage and all that. But uh-huh. why is it now so, you know, violent? Um, well, I think now it's a different world we live in now for a start, you know, obviously, you know, you've got all the different the different aspects now. Now, where all all of our fathers worked, you know, all of them worked, 
So now you have a lot of people of kids, fathers who never walked a day in their life. Now their their sons are living in oil in Finglas. But Finglas is still a beautiful place. There's still a great deal. Like it's a very very small percentage of people in Finglas. You still live there. I, no, I don't. My father yeah. still, still, oh, right. still right. lives there. But I live very near. I live on the Navan Road in, in yeah. Cabra. My daughter lives in Finglas still. So I still have great connections. All my friends still in Finglas. Finglas is an amazing place. It's just unfortunately a very small proportion of people from there get all the bad press. All right. My Thursday interview guest is Christy Dignam. After the break, we'll be talking about rock and roll. The Hard Shoulder on News Talk with Nissan. Pioneers in SUV and electric cars. Nissan. Innovation that excites. This weekend, News Talk is getting behind the Irish rugby team as they kickstart their campaign in Japan. We'll be bringing you unrivaled coverage right throughout the tournament with previews and reviews, reaction and analysis, plus exclusive content from our man on the ground, Henry McKean. Yabby means terrible or amazing, so you could just say Ireland or Yabby. Does it depend on how you pronounce it? Or I think say so, it? exactly. Okay. A bit like in Ireland, you can be grand, but you can be grand. News Talk, supporting the Irish rugby team in Japan. With thanks to Euronext Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange. Supporting Irish business for over 200 years. Follow it all on air, on social and on Newstalk.com. In fairness to the government, it introduced the Home Renovation Incentive. 13.5% cash back when you renovated your home. Now that's gone out the window. In fairness to Ferco, there's now the Ferco Home Renovation Grant. A check back for the same amount. Say that again? With Ferco Windows and Doors, you get a check back into your hand direct from Ferco. Yes, a few small terms and conditions apply, but you also get a beautiful, warm, secure home. Well, fair dues to Ferco. For more details, see ferco.ie. James Patrice here. Breast Cancer Ireland's Great Pink Run is taking place on Saturday 19th of October in Dublin's Phoenix Park and Sunday 20th of October in Castle Park, Kilkenny. Unfortunately, we all know someone that has been affected by breast cancer with one in nine women diagnosed in their lifetime. I'll be taking part to support all the women in my life. My mum, my sister and all my fab gals. So, who will you run for? Sign up for the Great Pink Run with Avonmore Slimline Milk at greatpinkrun.ie See you at the start line! Let's get down to business. Free Now is ready to take your call. Thousands of taxis at a tap at your fingertips, ready to drive you where you need to be. You're going places, and we want to get you there. Let's talk business. It's not that kind of business. Oh, okay. <laughs> Free Now Business, making the business of your business easier, like no more manually expensing taxi receipts. Search Free Now Business to open a business account today. Some things just go better together, like shopping and pampering. At Livy Valley, this couldn't be truer. With more than 80 stores, including H&M, River Island and Stradivarius, you're spoiled for choice. Then, a treatment in Brow Boutique, Sugar Dolls or Therapy Clinic. And it's the perfect combination for some me time. Livy Valley. Shop, eat, drink, experience. By going direct to Energia, you're not just saving the environment by choosing electricity that's 100% green. You're also saving your business a lot of money. Call 1850 36 or visit energia.ie forward slash business. Energia, the power behind even bigger savings. Standard terms and conditions apply. Make every dish a perfect success with autopilot preset programs. Now on the latest range of Bosch Pyrolytic self-cleaning ovens. 
For more information, go online to paracity.ie or call in store today. Fear. I'm supposed to be flying to Canada next weekend to see my grandchildren. And I'm scared. Not scared the flight will crash. None of these so-called irrational fears. I'm scared that I won't last eight hours without a cigarette. What are you waiting to feel before you quit? Ireland now has more quitters than smokers, and with the right support, you're twice as likely to join them for good. Visit quit.ie today from the HSC. This September, all mattress protectors and toppers, all stools and chairs, all DIY and painting accessories are half price in home store and more. But better hurry, because when all our half price mattress protectors and toppers are gone, they're gone. And when all our half price stools and chairs are gone, they're gone too. And as for all our half price DIY and painting accessories, when they're gone, they're definitely gone. All offers available online at homestoreandmore.ie or in-store at homestoreandmore. Homestoreandmore. Your home made more. The Ferco Windows and Doors Home Renovation Grant. A check back into your hand. See ferco.ie. T's and C's apply. The Thursday interview. On the hard shoulder. Thanks to Australia's McGuigan Wines. Four-time International Winemaker of the Year. This time, bring a McGuigan. Welcome back to the Thursday Interviewed. My guest, it's a great pleasure to have in studio, Christy Dignam. We've covered his early years, his abuse, his schooling. So let's talk about you becoming uh, an adolescent and falling in love with music. When did you know that you wanted to be a singer, a musician? I've always felt, even when I was in school, I always felt this is a waste of time because I'm going to be a singer anyway, you know. So I've always, like I was in a school choir, I was in a, but not very political, I was in a black and white minstrel when I was 11 years of age in Finglas. So I was in the school choir all through primary school. You're a good singer? I didn't know I was good, but I, I just loved singing, you know. It was your passion? Absolutely, yeah. And who were your kind of absolute idols? David Bowie, Bob Dylan. Um, I suppose Lou Reed, I loved Lou Reed as well. Then I loved bands like Pink Floyd and stuff, so I kind of grew up and all that. But you see... My my initial introduction to music was the likes of Enrico Caruso, and uh, you explain that with your dad, yeah, yeah. And, and John McCormick, and so I kind of grew up with a very balanced kind of. What was the first record you ever bought? Uh, Life on Mars, David Bowie. Right, first gig you ever went to? Uh, first gig I ever went to was the Blades in the Magnet in Pier Street. And did you go to a lot of gigs and buy a lot of records? Yes, of course, right. yeah. So tell us about your band and putting it together. Right. We're talking 1982 now, 81? Yeah, well, that, 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 that band was, was, the, was the evolution of a couple of bands. That we started. Well, well, tell us before Aslan, right. then. So, myself and Joe, in the, the Gilly Guitars and Band, went to Patrician together to, uh, in secondary school. So, in, in secondary school, they formed a band called Electron. And uh, so... I want, they lost our singer and I kept asking Joe could I replace the singer you know so eventually they took me in as as the singer with Electron so Electron evolved to a band called Mila 18 and we used to go down playing the Bag of the Inn the Magnet in Pear Street was another McGonagall's in Gra- just off Grafton Street all these little were you things. making a few bob out of it? no no I was cost were you working as well? yes yeah, so I, was, I was working in Telecom Ireland as a telephone technician ok so that was me and myself and Joe were working at the same so it was your thing. hobby? No, it wasn't a hobby. It was, it was, it was, I was trying to make the, the band full-time at the time. And to me, the, the job was just something that I had to do because I had to pay a mortgage and stuff, you know. So, how did Aslan come about? Right. So, me and Lady Heenan were playing in a gig. In, in, there was a place called the Ivory Rooms. In a, it was in Parnell Street. And there were two venues. There was an upstairs venue and a downstairs venue. And we were playing downstairs. And a band called Les Enfants were playing upstairs. 
So our gig was packed that night. It was about 10 people at the Les Enfants gig. But the following Monday of that weekend, I opened the Herald and the Les Enfants had signed this massive deal. And I couldn't believe because we were a much more popular band in Dublin at the time. So I went into the band the next rehearsal and I says, right, as I'm giving up my job, I says, I feel the fact that I have this job is robbing me of this, the hunger to succeed because of something to fall back on. I says, I'm giving up my job. Joe was giving up his job as well. I says, so who's coming with us? Meal ATM were about an eight piece. We had like saxophones and then percussions and all. So it whittled down to four of us. So it was just four of us wouldn't leave would 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 uh, leave our jobs. The rest of them steady in their mm. jobs. Some of them worked in Guinnesses and stuff like that. So that was the, the that was the bear. How did you get Aslan. the name Aslan? It was from the line of Witch in the Water of the C. S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia. Right. So I'd read that. So uh, and um, how did it go then? Well, initially, could you could you make ends meet? Well, it was never about money at the beginning. It was just about... Well, you have to live, though. If you give yeah, up you the good job in Telecom Aaron, you, you know You don't I mean? be thinking of that, you know. You, you're not thinking... That, that was, that was well, the, had you met Catherine at this stage? Yeah, I, I was with Catherine since I was 14. No, but were you, you were actually... Key, you were living together at this stage? I oh, we weren't living together, no, because we only, only started living together when we got married. We were yeah, when, when did you, what year did you get married? We got married in 85, I think. Right. So, so it's at some going. stage you have to take the bill seriously. Yeah, well, Catherine was a hairdresser, so she was kind of financing stuff for me. She was supporting us back then, you know, unfortunately. So, But that's the way it was. So initially, you know, you think, you know, no, I don't think anybody that's seriously in a band does it. You talk to Tom Dunn, he'll tell you the yeah, same no, thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, 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 it's your passion. Yeah. Well, but when, 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 when did you know we kind of made it here? Um, we did a gig. We'd released the single. This is the first song you played on this, the, the yeah. montage there. We'd released that single here in Ireland, and it was done. We, we made a demo tape for two hundred pounds at the time. Now, a single would have, back then cost maybe twenty, thirty grand to record. We paid two hundred punts for this demo. Yeah. It was a demo tape basically and we released it and it became the biggest sing- uh, single played single in a 2FM that year but we were still kind of kind of going around little venues here in, du- in Dublin and a day of Fanning ran a gig down in Cork called The Lark by the Lee and he used to get kind of bands from around Ireland and he'd have this big concert by the Lee mm. there was about 15,000 people at the gig so we went down and, and the Blades actually were the main band that day and uh, there was a band called uh, I can't remember them now we were the first band on anyway but when we come on and we played this is the whole Cork 15,000 people started singing the song back Fantastic, to us Fantastic yeah. and like that That's as high as that it gets That was the moment yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Yeah. And no drugs yet? Oh, uh, yeah, the drugs are starting to creep in then. Because I never drank, my parents never drank, and I, there was no alcohol, it was just a no-no in the house. So I started smoking hash, you know, around that time. Hash was starting to come into Ireland. And um, then one day I, was, I went to score to get some hash. He said, no hash, I said, I've only got skag. And I didn't want to be on kill and tell him, you know, what's, what's skag? I thought skag was another type of hash. So he just says, yeah, give us that. So he gave it to me in a little envelope. And I thought he ripped me off at first because normally I'd have got a big lump of hash for 20 mm. quid. Now he's getting this little envelope. I said, how will I do this? He says, you just snort that and you'll be grand. And that was, that was how it started. Any positives from the drugs? No. Yeah, Did you enjoy the highs? Of course I did. I yeah, wouldn't have done that, it. Well, that's I didn't. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have done it. I didn't. You see, that's the thing, you know. I'd seen Kojak and I'd seen a heroin addict as a bloke lying in an alley with a syringe yeah, yeah. of his arm. So when you take heroin first and it's a beautiful feeling, and you wake up the next morning and you're not lying in an alley with a syringe hanging out of your arm. Exactly, I can you start hack thinking, this, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is bull. Well, yeah. I've been hearing about this yeah. drug, you know, and you kind of, because. 
as an addict, you want to tell yourself all those lies. So, so how often would you take it in the early? Well, in the early years, it would have been just very, you know, once every couple of weeks, maybe, you know, and then like a night out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was doing something. Like the first time when we did it, we were going, all going off camping for the night, you know. So that was because all the rest would be drinking their bottles of wine or their flagons of cider. I was, I didn't, have, so I used to, you know. And, and did you use needles? And no, no, initially I did, eventually, yeah. Right, that was when you got onto the heroin. Yeah, but even when I started taking heroin, I didn't use needles initially. Initially, I just snorted it, and then I started smoking it, and eventually went onto the needles. Right. On I was drugs. 28 by the first time I took heroin. Okay. At what age did you come clean, or did you get off it all altogether? Uh, well, it was six years ago, so I'd been around 50. So you're 22 years of yeah. doing drugs. Yeah. Okay. So tell us, in, in because we've got other things to discuss and yeah. so on, uh, at... At what level did it start to become that you couldn't hack it anymore? Right. And you um, became a junkie? I woke, oh, when I became a junkie, I became a junkie for the first moment I took heroin. The first joint, I, the first time I took hash, I became a no, junkie. No, I meant when did it take over your life that you couldn't function? Right, my wife, one day we, I woke up and I came down, opened the hall door and my car was smashed, all the windows were smashed and my wife's car was smashed. Somebody had poured acid over all the paintwork. It was a guy I'd owed money to for drugs. So my wife threw me out, got a bar in order on me. And I started living in Ballymun Flats for about a year. Now a smart person would kind of look at that and say, well, my wife's left me, my car's erect, I'll give up drugs. But an addict doesn't think like that. So I went even worse, you know. What, what did you think? I you thought, thought the world was against you? I thought even God wouldn't blame me now for taking drugs. Be, oh, so you see, you're full of self-pity? Of course, yeah. yeah that, oh, no, no, I'm interested in this. Insofar yeah. as that... Um, the worse things got, the more you needed the drugs yeah, to escape yeah, from yeah, the reality. Yeah. What about help? Did you get counselling? Did you get yeah. medical help? Yeah. Well, Did then, you try methadone? I tried everything, yeah. I tried, I, I, I ended up going to Thailand, to a Buddhist monastery in Thailand. So I spent time over there and you're in lockdown in this monastery. So to give you this, it's made from all different herbs and you drink this drink. There's about, say there's 20 addicts in a row from all over Europe and we're all in a row kneeling down and all the monks are behind us drumming. There's a load of Thai kids in front of you taking photographs. They're from schools. You bring all these skills to show this is what happens to you if you end up on drugs. So you drink this little drink and you drink, there's a bucket of water beside you, you drink the water and then you start projectile vomiting. So you're vomiting all, it gets all the toxins out of your system. But in between all that is meditation with the Buddhist monk, monks and you're talking, there's always a Buddhist monk there to talk to you if you need to talk. So that was the start of it. When I came out of, when I came back from Thailand, I did use again when I came out of there, but it was never the same. Oh, I thought you were running around the streets of Thailand looking for gear. I was, gear. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was when I finished the course, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So when I finished the course, I just went straight back today. The, the last day of it, we did a day in Thailand, I went straight out looking for gear that day. But for some reason, when I used after that experience, it was never the same again. I don't know, whatever happened to me in, in, in the monastery, it kind of soaked into me, like osmosis almost, I suppose. So, so you're glad you did it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Tell me, what did, you, what did your, 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 your fellow, were you, were you kicked out of the band as well as kicked out? Of the band, out of, yeah. Right. I was kicked out Was of the that band before or after Catherine kicked you out? That was before Catherine kicked me out. But so it, at that stage you weren't earning a whole lot? Yeah, see, I'd given up the drugs a lot of times and then slipped back into it, you know. So I did get periods within that 22 years where I was off for a year or two years okay. and then I'd slip back into it, you know. So tell us about... Uh, your cancer diagnosis. Yeah. So I was um, about six years ago, um, 
from Christmas to March the length I could walk was getting shorter and shorter I'd literally walk 10 feet and I'd be hanging breathless you know and so I was going to the the Hermitage Centre and I was going to see a specialist up there and he was saying oh, I think you have emphysema you know and he was treating me for that and it wasn't the emphysema he was oh you have a swelled heart and then he was treating me for that so this was happening and happening and eventually I couldn't I couldn't even get up out of the chair so um, did you have oxygen? I ended up on oxygen yeah, yeah. but I ended up getting brought to, I got a anomalous brought me to Blanchettstown Hospital and they were looking then they still couldn't find where it was and then I went to Bowmount and they done a biopsy and they found I had this condition called amyloidosis and another multiple myeloma so I have two cancers So what was the prognosis? Well at the time the day they diagnosed me um, they were starting me on chemo that day and my daughter asked the oncologist that was March and she asked the oncologist would I be alright for July for our wedding she was getting married in July and the oncologist told us, look, we, we, we don't think he's going to make the next 24 hours. If he makes through the next 24 hours, we'll take it from there, you know. So I did make it through those. But then even when I was recovered and they were, just, they were letting me out of hospital, they gave me six months from then. They said, look, you know, we give you, if you have anything on your bucket list, go out there and do it, you know, because we're about six months. So Did your breathing been, improve at that stage? Oh, absolutely, yeah. See, they put, they put me on, I'm on, to this day, I'm on diuretics, so I'm, I'm going to the toilet all the time okay. because, um, because the amyloidosis affected my heart and my kidneys. So because my heart is not pumping the oxygen to the rate it should be, my kidneys aren't working to the rate they should be, so I retain fluids. So I have to take diuretics to get rid of the fluids, and I can only drink a litre a day of water of any liquids do you know what I mean so the whole my whole intake of liquids in a day is one litre so what's the prognosis now because that six months has gone by and you're looking better yeah. than myself well I did put me on a, on, a, on a chemotherapy called Velcade and that kept it at bay that kind of uh, put it in remission for three years the second time I, I came back then the second time I did the same chemotherapy and it only took Kepra Bay for a year and be, when I on the second one I got sepsis because my um, immune system was so depleted so I, I got sepsis I was rushed I nearly died with sepsis so they had to take me off the Velcade then they put me on a drug called pomalidomide which is from the thalidomide family do you remember the thalidomide mm. family so it's from that family so uh they put me on that, and then that effect, after a treatment of that, started affecting my heart. So now, that at the moment, I'm in between chemotherapies, and they're looking for a new chemotherapy. That's got, cause it, now, the thing is being held at bay. And you were saying that it's the same illness as Martin McGuinness had? Yes. Which is really kind of worrying. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, now, great part of the book is the prologue, where you describe... Uh, it's like you died and you went to this concert that was organised in your honour yeah. in 2013, June 2013. Yeah. And they were all playing tribute to you. Yeah. And they had you two on, on, you know, video from America and so on. It does, it is touching how, 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 how nice people are. Absolutely. It absolutely blew me away. To this day, I'm humbled. I'm still humbled. Even now you're saying it. I'm humbled by it, you know. It's so you're in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the box. Little box yeah. the, the, and lapping it all up. I was bombed. And how yeah. sick were you at that stage? Well, I was very, like, they wouldn't I was have done it unless ill. they thought you were dying. Yeah, like, I was very ill. Yeah, yeah, I was very ill at the time. But I kind of, I bawled my way through that, you know. I just cried. Because it was just so emotional, the whole thing. So how, you spoke about your lifestyle now. How how much performing can you do? Yeah, well, I, I, 
I gig a couple of times a week now, you know, but it's the travelling. I can't travel long distances. Yeah. Like we had gigs in Bahrain and Dubai in October and I had to cancel them because um, just the travelling is too far. I can only travel four hours is my limit on a plane because of the fluid retention and stuff. You've one daughter, Kira, is that right? Yeah, three grandkids. Yeah, and, and three grandkids. And um, they're living close by. Yeah. Uh, Catherine and you are getting on okay? Yeah, getting on great. You're not as moody, you're not as difficult? No. 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 You're sorry? You dedicate so, the book to her? Yeah, well, I mean... I don't regret anything, Ivan, to be honest with you. Well, sorry, that's, that's bullshit of the worst order, Chris. What do you mean you, do, you don't regret it? Because... Like you, you made a mess of your uh, so, whole chunk oh, uh, for 22 years of your life. What, that's what my past you was, You pain on your family I'm and sorry your about ones that. who loved you. I'm sorry you about no that. regrets? I'm sorry about that part of it. But I, don't, I can't... Well, what's the point in regretting it? What's the point in me going around and beating myself up for the last few years I've got? I don't know how long I've got, because I've six months left. I didn't mean that. No, I didn't mean that. What I meant myself. was... What I meant was... Have you any remorse to those who hurt your life? The biggest remorse I have is I wasn't the father that I could have been and I wasn't the husband that I could have been. And I've had this discussion a thousand times with Kira and with Catherine and I can't take that back. As all I can do is be the best I can be from now on. Sure. And that's all I'm trying to do. I can't... Okay. If I could change one part of it, that would be the thing. If I, if, but you see, all the addiction and all of that brought me to where I'm at now, you know, and... This is where I'm at now, so that's all I can do. You've had a few, a good few, different brushes with death. What's yeah. your, are you scared of dying? I'm scared of dying. I am, bleeding terrified. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about that. Well, you know... Like I, you're some fighter. Anything I do, anything I do now, you're thinking, is this the last time you're going to do this? Because as I said, when the sepsis thing, even worse than the cancer, when the sepsis thing happened, I was getting a selfie in, in Limerick with a girl, right? And she's coughing and spluttering beside me at a gig. By the Monday morning, I'm being rushed to hospital with sepsis. My, car, my kidneys and my heart were failing. Now, they told me then, had I waited 12 hours, they wouldn't have brought me back. They'd have gone into septic poisoning and said, we couldn't have got you back. So I think that's what's going to kill me, you know. Do you I'd, believe in God or anything like that? Not really, no. No, okay. No higher power? Not really. I used I know, to. Okay. I used to try for that, but it's just not a lot. It's not logical for me, you know. Did you, have you ever been so ill that you were unconscious that you you, you oh, kind of? Yeah. Like yeah. How did that flat feel? Lined, like how did that feel? Flatlined in, in, in when I was in, in Blanchard Sound. I had a defibrillator in my chest, so this defibrillator. What did it feel like? What's your memory of it? Right, I just was in hospital and um, I, I remember being feeling really warm and really I just wanted to, I just wanted to go to sleep kind of thing. And uh, then the doctors come in and they start giving me adrenaline and I just kicked back out of it. But that was all I remember. I just remember being a really lovely feeling and not wanting to come away from that, you know. I wanted to stay there. But I just woke up then. What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Don't touch drugs. Because I often wonder what, what could have been, you know, had I not taken that route, you know. You see, we were the, when I started taking heroin, I'm not making excuses, yeah. but when we started, there was nobody before us. We we didn't have any, you know, people before. We were the first, because drugs were only starting to come into Ireland then, you know. So we didn't have older brothers or older friends that took heroin. The only thing I knew about heroin was what I was seeing on TV, and that was very little, you know. So, so what would you say to someone who's having um, cocaine 
or whatever, taking a bit of ecstasy at the weekend and, and is functioning well? What would you say to them? Well, you see, my, my thing on it is there are some people can do that. I can't, you know. And when everybody that takes a drug is taking that chance that they have the same um, inadequacies or insecurities that I had that led me into the addiction. So every time you take and every time you take something for the first time, you're taking that chance. And if you think it's 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 worth your while taking that chance, go for it. But I don't think I wouldn't do. It. I wouldn't advise any of my kids to do. It. Um, drug dealers. Well, I think I think they should have criminalised drugs. Decriminalised. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Portuguese government, you know what yeah, they've yeah, done with yeah, drugs Yeah, we've just that. debated many times. Yeah, yeah. So, so the whole thing makes sense, you know. The thing, like, the, the, even the putting the needle, the needle yeah, yeah, thing yeah, in, yeah. In, in Merchants Key and they, they stopped it. What kills me is the people in Merchants Key are the people that know about addiction and about addicts. Let them make those decisions. Not, not some restaurateur who's going to be gone in a year's time anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's ridiculous, you know. And they're saying it'll bring addicts into the town. The addicts are already there. They're already banging up in the corners and in the, in the alleys. Anything on your bucket list you haven't done you'd like to do? Not really, no. Travel? Uh... No, I'd like, to go to Japan. I'd like to go to Japan. That's about it. Right. That's it. Absolutely nothing else. Absolutely nothing else. I'd love to see you. I'm just your grandchildren are, are the light of your life, are they? Uh, yeah, I love them. That's what well, you know. When, when I got sick that time, and when the doctor said about the six month thing, the only thing I cared about was them. Nothing else, you know. The house didn't matter. The fact that what well, kind of a car I drove, the van, none of it was all bullshit. The only thing that mattered to me was seeing them for a, seeing their communion or their confirmation or whatever. Well, you know what, Christy, uh, we were born within a year of each other and I'm going to be 60 next month and you're going to be 60 next year. And yeah. the truth of it is that uh, I, I, I'm not into music. I'm into sport and I'm into money and I'm into business. I'm into politics. I'm into lots of queer things. I'm into, I'm into marriage and all that kind of thing as well. But the family. But the point about it is this that, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've heard Aslan, but I, I'm not the type of person who go to a gig or, yeah. or be a big part of my life. It has been an absolute pleasure to Thank talk you. to you. Your humanity and your honesty are are unvarnished. And I, I want to strongly recommend the book My Crazy World by Christy Dignam. Um, and and it, it's the autobiography. It's available on hardback in all good bookshops. We wish you continued success thank you. and good health and I want to thank you for being my Thursday interview guest and that's our lot uh, for today's show my thanks to the production team Dan Flanagan and Roisin Davis here at the Ploughing Championships Mark Simpson Ashling Moore and Alex Russo back at base in Dublin Michael Quilligan Paul Buckland and Paul Marnock were our technical team on sound I will be making my way back up to Ballymount on Virgin Media 1 television tonight at 11 with Matt and then back at base tomorrow Friday from 4pm. Off the Ball is up next. Have a good evening and thanks for listening. At Experts Electrical Stores, we know there's a belling inside every great home. Sensawash energy-saving washing machines, belling fridge freezers that keep food fresh for longer, kitchen innovations that revolutionise how you cook. Upgrade yours now with up to €150 trade-in on belling appliances. Only at your local Experts Electrical Store and at expert.ie. 
Into your busy business lives, I'd like to add one more item. Sorry about that, but this one will prove useful. On October 9th and 10th, the Lumenia 2019 ERP head-to-head conference takes place at the Crown Plaza Hotel Dublin Airport. It's the only event where you can see the latest ERP solutions like Microsoft, SAP, Sage, Epicor and QAD compared on an apples-to-apples basis. So if you're implementing or updating ERP, start the conversation, meet other business leaders and stay informed. Book your place at erphead2head.com. Every day, over 160 customers on average choose Bank of Ireland Insurance Services to arrange their home insurance. Search Bank of Ireland Home Insurance today and get a quote that you'll be right at home with. Bank of Ireland Group. Begin. Figures quoted relate to the period from January 1st to August 31st, 2019. Bank of Ireland Insurance Services Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Home insurance is exclusively underwritten by RSA Insurance Ireland DAC. Underwriting requirements and terms and conditions apply. Anne had been training hard for months, 7K most evenings in all weathers, along familiar tree-lined roads. Only for that wind to be close to my fastest time ever. Just when I need a fallen tree. Okay, climb over, keep moving. Always ask yourself the question. Are you sure it's safe? Never approach fallen wires. Stay safe, stay clear of electricity wires. For emergencies, call 1850-372-999. ESB Networks, serving all electricity customers. Hi, Maura here. Having worked in PH Ross for over 20 years, I'm passionate about understanding our customers' needs. My favourite part is when they send me back pictures of their bathroom when it's finished. It's that connection you make and it's always there. From conception to completion, Maura and her team are with you every step of the way. Discover the bathroom you've always dreamed of or the bathroom you'd love to dream in. Visit our showroom at PH Ross, just off the North Circular Road. It's been said an official Ford service is more trouble than it's worth. Let's bust that myth. Our Ford trained technicians are best placed to service your vehicle. They use Ford Video Check, which sends you a video of any faults found, so you can approve the repair work online. Starting at €149 for cars and €169 for vans, you get a free €20 one-for-all card. Contact your local Ford dealer or book online at Ford.ie. Ford service. Better performance and greater value. Prices stated are for vehicles aged 5 years plus. One-for-all gift cards available at participating dealers. Terms and conditions apply. See Ford.ie for details. Get the right look for less at Dunn Stores with our great range of fashion and homeware. And this week, when you spend €10 in our fashion and homeware departments, we'll give you €10 off your next €50 grocery shop. Dunn Stores. Always better value. See online for terms and conditions. Minimum spend required. Attention marketers, the robot revolution has arrived. At Wolfgang Digital, we've amassed an army of digital marketing robots. We've developed build bots, we've developed bid bots, we've developed optobots. Every single hour that passes, our army conducts 24 hours of human equivalent work. Right now, 